Last week we looked at uh, the future of Lake Merced. And we looked at it not through kind of what we see at times, that is more empty seats than people in the seats, but instead we looked at it through the lens that God would like us to see us as a church. Uh, there's never any teaching, and the New Testament says if you're a small church, you get too small, you just have to fold. Most churches were small. Uh, the early church started in the mother of Jesus' home, um, Acts chapter 1. Um, in other places, in epistles, it talks about the church that meets in your house. Uh, Paul, when he first went to the ancient city of Philippi, he met a group of women that were met, meeting by the river in prayer. And that was the beginning of the Philippian church. Uh, large churches are somewhat unusual. They're a blessing. It's great to be part of a large church. Large churches can do great things. We obviously want to grow numerically, but we just can't always be waiting for that time to think, well, then we can do something good for God. We can do good things for God. In fact, He expects us to do good things right now. It's seeing the opportunities. It's seeing things the way God wants us to see them that's so important at this time. Uh, last week, we looked at the importance of our assemblies uh, and how important these are for us to refocus together. We looked at the opportunity of our location, how that we have this great facility here. Uh, we have great parking. We have... On, we live on a, or we, yeah, we live as a family here on this well-traveled street. We have a lot of things that churches long to have and will never have, but yet we already have and have had for a long time here. Uh, we have a great spirit of acceptance here of people uh, that come from different backgrounds. Uh, we enjoy each other's presence. There's hugging. There's good talking when we're here. I look forward to being here, and then like we talked in groups last week. Uh, at times, probably we've come on a Sunday morning not feeling like being here, but we've always left what? We've left feeling blessed and feeling like, hey, I'm glad I did get myself together to be here because I feel encouraged by being together with the family. So today I want to expand our picture of how we see ourselves as a church. We're going to talk today about being the church, making the most of life as a small church. Thank you, Jay, for handing these out. Um, gave you a lot of room to write things on the side. I'm kind of experimenting with how much I put up on the screen. Try to go by the principle less is more and let you decide what you want to write down if you want to write down anything at all. Uh, but we're going to talk about two main points today about how we further expand seeing our life as a church. I want you to consider the major sports teams that we have here in our Bay Area. We have the Warriors who just won the big basketball championship. We have the San Francisco Giants, yes. Well, yeah, most cities would love to have a championship team like the we have them right here, and they're winning all the time. Uh, we have the Giants. Uh, we have the 49ers. We have the Oakland A's. So we have four major teams in this area. But I want to think about the Golden State Warriors for a minute because they're the most prominent. Um, the Golden State Warriors are the most popular players, especially players like Steph Curry and Draymond Green. The Warriors are more than just who they are on the court. We see them on the court, and that's when we tune in or we go to the games, and that's when they, they really shine as they work together to win a victory. But the Warriors are more than just what they are on the court. Uh, they are involved in the community. A lot of times they will lead like maybe a summer camp for kids, working on basketball. You'll see them attend different charity events. Again, Steph Curry and his wife are most known for this. They are pillars of the community, uh, 
Kids will go around wearing their jerseys with their name on the back, or their, their kids are prominently again. And that's one reason why he is paid so well. And you look at major sports teams, a lot of times they're players like Derek Carr or the Raiders. They're paid so well not because of just what they do on the court, but what they do in life in general because their influence, their impact is greater than just what you see on the court. And that is true also about the church. Our assemblies are kind of what we see on the court. This is where we're involved in prayer and singing together and uh, being taught, communing together. This is when we're on the court, so to speak. But just like sports teams who have major sports stars, our life is everywhere. Everywhere we are. Steph Curry has to think about everywhere he goes and how other people are seeing him, how he treats people, how he talks to fans that want an autograph, how he handles the privacy of his own family. Probably every moment of his day has to be thought out a little bit because he's everywhere Steph Curry. He never stops being Steph Curry. He can't just say, well, just on the court, see me that way. And the same thing is true about the church. You are the church even when you're not at church. Know that you are the church even when you're not at church. Again, this is how we're going to look at how to see ourselves not just as a smaller group of people that gather together once a week, but a group of people that gathers together, but yet goes out and does great things for the glory of God wherever they're at. We want to be the church both on the court, in the assembly, and off of the court. Well, let's first think about the word church. Go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to look through. We're going to read some texts that help us see ourselves as God sees us at the church, as a church. Again, it's tempting for us just to see ourselves as we see ourselves. <laughs> okay, we got a lot more chairs than people. But that's not how God sees us. He sees us in a much broader way. Let's first talk about the, the word church itself in the Bible. First of all, the word church always refers to people. It never refers to a building. Church always refers to people and never to any kind of building. The word church in the New Testament is from the Greek word ekklesia, which simply in its most general sense refers to an assembly of people. In fact, there's a couple times in the book of Acts where it talks about just a group of people from the city came together and it's translated in English assembly, but the Greek word is ekklesia, which is the same word that's used to translate this word church or becomes this translated word, church. Church simply means an assembly, but specifically a called out assembly for a purpose. We're not just a group of people that haphazardly gets together. We get together for a purpose. And that's what the word ecclesia or where the church means. Sometimes when Bible writers talk about the church, they talk about the church in the worldwide sense. Every saved person. And we're going to see that here in Ephesians 1. Uh, other times we'll see, like in the beginning of a lot of the New Testament books, Paul will say, to the church of God in Corinth. So the church will be talked about just in, as a group that meets in a city. Other times, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, the church assembled will be being talked about. In fact, Paul had to correct a lot of things going on in the Corinthian church and their assemblies. They weren't taking the Lord's Supper right. They were taking it at different times. And the word church is used because it simply means assembly. So we just have to figure out in each place what sense of that word church is being used. 
In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, we'll see it used in both the large sense of every saved person, but it will apply directly to the group of Christians that are meeting in the ancient city of Ephesus. I just want to read through verses 1 through 21. And I want you to look for one big thing that comes out in a lot of little things. That is how God sees us as a church. I want you to see the lofty things that are said about uh, what God is looking for in the church, what He seeks to accomplish in the church. I might ask uh, for some volunteer hands at the end of the reading, what did you see that caught your attention? What did you see that God said about the church in these 21 verses that makes you think about how we see ourselves? So let's begin reading Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 1, to try to see how big the church is from God's standpoint. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Verse 9, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. Verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the praise, I'm sorry, uh, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all His people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in our prayers. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God and Father, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. 
the riches of His glorious inheritance in His people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as a mighty strength. Verse 20, He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Verse 22, And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be the head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. There's a lot. There is a lot of lofty things being said here. But let, if something stood out to you, if something caught your attention as far as what our purpose is of the church or maybe something God has done for us that is repeated, uh, just kind of raise your hand and say it out and we'll, let's try to focus on it. Just anything that, where you said, I got that, or I saw this, maybe you said a couple times, or anything about our purpose, our identity. No pressure here. Carla? Yeah. Yeah, here God was thinking about this people that He would call the church before there were any people. He predestined them to the glory of His grace or the praise of His grace. Uh, it says before the creation of the world. That is, He was thinking about a people that would be His. A people that would choose Him by the gospel. They would hear the gospel as you indicated in your prayer. They'd respond to it. They'd be obedient. So God's been thinking about us for a long time. And that's what Paul is saying here. And the people He's been thinking about is the church that would be his own. Excellent, Ricardo. Other things you might have noticed in here. Any statement, phrase, word, repeated idea? Jay? Yes. And notice that we are his inheritance. It doesn't say we are going to get an inheritance, which we will, our reward in heaven. But here God sees us as his inheritance. And you combine that with Ricardo's thought about he's been thinking about us since the foundation of the world before. Envisioning a people that he would give free will that would choose him and that would choose to love him. And the way he sees the end of the world is his inheritance is coming to him. And is, an, is his inheritance a building or people? It's people. It's the church. And here the church is envisioned here in its entirety worldwide but as it, this message is given to the Ephesian church, it applies to them that they see, are to see themselves in this grand and glorious way as God's inheritance, as a people they've been thought about for a long time. So that means no matter how large their size is, they are big in God's eyes because God has planned everything through the church. Other things you might have noticed, anything that got your attention, even as you look back now, anything in particular? Yes. Did you, catch, did you catch me emphasizing that as I was reading it a little bit too? And you saw it three times, even if you didn't catch my voice. We are, what God envisioned is the people that would bring glory and praise and honor to Him. And that was a risky move on God's part, giving us free will, because what, what have the majority done to bring Him shame, embarrassment? You can go all the way back to the flooding of the world. God started all over again. Because it got started as a disaster. Even the Garden of Eden. 
They sin almost immediately. But God still has this grand and glorious plan of having people that will be His to the praise of His glory. And I think I heard that three times in here. I saw it three times. So Paul is emphasizing that. That no matter what our size is as a church, no matter what our challenge is, we are to the praise of His glory. And he doesn't say if you're a 200-plus member church or anything like that, it'd be a two-member church because he says in the Gospels, Christ says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. God has invested everything in us. His Son, His glory, His reputation, if you will. It's invested in us being who we ought to be as the church. And I appreciate everything that you all have noticed, the praise of His glory, that so we ought to live up to that. That's our challenge is to live up to that as a church and not say, oh, whoa, we're small, we're, oh, we're struggling, we're in decline. We don't see those kind of words in Scripture. We see we're to the praise of His glory. We're, we're predestined and um, all these lofty things are being said. Anything else you notice before we go on to the next Scripture? You, you've hit the things that caught my eye in studying this. So good work, everyone, with this text. Okay, um, let's look at chapter 2 now. We'll get a little more specific now. We'll read verses 6 through 10. What is God looking for if we're to be to the praise of His glory? Uh, verse 6 through 10, chapter 2. Here Paul says, And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been what? Saved. Through faith. This not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Verse 9. Not of works, so that no one can boast. Now verse 10. For we are God's what? We are God's handiwork. The idea that we're, we're someone God is working through. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, Ricardo mentioned earlier that we were predestined. Here God envisioned us not only as saved people, but that was just the beginning. Uh, he takes us just as we are, as the, the old hymn says, just as I am, but He doesn't leave us there. It says here He's... He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a mission for us. Once He's cleaned us all up, saved us by His power in baptism, He begins us in this new walk, this new life, in this relationship called the church, where we do good works. Whether we're a group of three, thirty, three hundred, or three thousand, as we're baptized in Acts chapter 2. Size is not what God's looking for. He's looking for people that will be faithful and give themselves to good works that will glorify Him, as Loretta noticed, to the praise of His glory right where they're at. Again, most early churches were small. Let's continue looking. Uh, look at chapter 2 now, verses 19 through 22. He's talking about the church. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also the members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. In him, 
the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a what? A dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. When he's talking here about a whole building being joined together, is he talking about the church facilities being built together? No, it's, it's the body of people. Remember, church always refers to people. So it's this body of people that's all being joined together to become what for God? He's going to do what in us as we're together? Dwell in us. It says, in Him, you two are being built together. It's a work in progress. You are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Here God's saying to the church, whether it's in Ephesus or San Francisco, saying God is living within you. And that's a broadening of our understanding of church, where even though a powerful part of our identity is these assemblies, very powerful part. Hebrew writer said, chapter 10, verse 25, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but instead encourage each other daily, and more so as you see the day approaching, that is the return of Christ. Very important. But even beyond that is our identities in church because he's living within us wherever we're at. Just like Steph Curry has to remember that he's a warrior wherever he's at, wherever he goes. He represents the Golden State Warriors. We remember that we represent God wherever we're at, even when we're not at church. Let's keep walking through this point a little bit. Chapter 3 now of Ephesians, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, verse 21 now, to him be glory where? In the church. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Here God's looking to do great things beyond anything we can ask or imagine. And Paul says in verse 21, to him be glory in the church. Now we saw that earlier as Loretta noticed in chapter 1, that we are to be to the praise of his glory. And that glory is in this church relationship, not the building, but the body of people that are living out what it means to be in Christ, a saved people. They're created to him for good works, to live out what it means to be a saved person. He says, to him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. There's never a moment in our lives that we're not the church. When Ricardo and I see each other at Molly Stone's, we're the church. When you're driving down 280 and someone cuts you off, or you're in the parking lot of Lucky and someone takes your spot, though you thought you got there early, you're still the church. Someone's at school and has a professor that's not really being fair. You're still the church to respond properly. As a teacher, um, I still have to speak respectfully to my students, use proper language in the classroom. Remember that they're looking at me all the time as a teacher. I'm not just a Christian here in this building. 
What's interesting is two people that work at San Mateo High School, where I work, or members at New North Church, I see them every Sunday. We say hi. So we're always interconnected. We always have to remember who we are, not just so we don't do something wrong, but just always remember we are always the church. Know that you're the church even when you're not at church. Let's look at one more text, and then we'll go on to apply this even further. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Remember, we saw earlier in Ephesians that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. But that's really not specified a whole lot other than we're to be committed to good things. Well, that's a very broad term. What does he mean, good things? Or what, what's he seeking to do for us now that he's saved us from our sin? He's starting all over again for us to materialize in our lives these good things. Let's see how it's more specified to the Corinthian church. Chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Corinthians. Paul called, by, <clears throat> called, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere. Notice how the whole church is being considered. With all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In just a minute, we're going to focus on our second main thought that builds on verse 7. He says, therefore, you do not lack what? You do not lack any spiritual gift. He invokes here to the Corinthian church this idea that they have gifts. Now, we're going to talk about gifts in the church in just a moment. But here, we're going to connect that idea of we have gifts to the idea that we're to be given to good works. And God has gifted us to do that. And let's go ahead and go to the second thought. You have a gift to give even if you don't feel gifted. Know that you have a gift to give in the church, even if you don't feel gifted. And remember the sense of the church is not only in the assembly do you have something to give, but in your entire life, just as Steph Curry, I'm going to keep going back to him, he's one of the most skilled shooters ever play professional basketball. But he's got the gift of being a good father. You can see that with his children. He has a gift of being respectful to people that's spread in every moment of his life. Being a good marriage partner, you see that? Um, so even though the church assemblies talked about times, this broader view of the church is really what God is looking for as well. He says he has not left them behind with any spiritual gift. Let's just talk for a minute about gifts in the New Testament church. Remember in the New Testament church at the very beginning, they didn't have Bibles. Those came along Hundreds of years later, uh, they did not have a written 
center of authority like we have. So early churches had to rely on the apostles to receive a revelation directly from God, and like Paul had or Peter had, and they would go to the apostles for direction, and Paul would give direction to them verbally based on what God was revealing to them. Churches would also have prophets during that time, people that also received direct messages of revelation from God, but they'd also have the ability to do miracles. So if someone said, well, how do I know God's talking through you? That person might be able to communicate that through another language that they didn't know, that's speaking in tongues. Uh, they would have someone would verify, yes, they're speaking from God and interpret the message if it was spoken in another language. Sometimes those speakers could do miracles. They heal someone that was sick simply to show that they were a spokesperson from God. That was a very dramatic and strong, prominent feature of the early church that is confirming the speaker up until the time the written revelation was completed. And we'll see in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 that even those gifts, though, would eventually go away once God's completed written revelation was there for the churches to use, but yet other gifts would remain. Let's look at that. Um, let's go to 1 Corinthians first, then we'll go to Romans. Got those out of order. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can keep your place in Romans because I want to see what kind of gifts we have today. There's some gifts we don't have as a church, but there's other gifts we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Corinthian church had a lot of problems with their gifts. Even though Paul said in chapter 1, they have all the gifts they need, you have read through chapter 12, 13, and 14, they were using those gifts improperly. Some of them were really proud and boastful about having a certain gift. Other gifts would, <clears throat> other people that had made the gift of prophecy, they wouldn't use it right. So Paul had to do a lot of corrective teaching. Let's just pick up right in the middle of that, uh, chapter 12, verse 27. And in talking about these gifts, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. That means languages. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Let's pause here. Here he's kind of scolding them a little bit. He's making the point that not everyone has the same gift. People were blessed in different ways, and especially in that first century, with certain kinds of gifts to help the church. Some were gifts like speaking in tongues, which is another language to reveal God's will, but other gifts were just gifts of helping, it says here. Gifts of helping or administrations, it says. But he tells him at the end of verse, uh, chapter 12, he says, verse 31, now eagerly desire what? The greater gifts. There's something greater coming. Let's continue. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Verse 1, chapter 13, if I speak in a human or angelic tongue, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am what? 
nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not, self, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Verse 8, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease or end. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, that's special miraculous knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. But now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. Verse 13 And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the grace of these is love. Let's just pause here. What he said, just to summarize, is basically this gift of tongue speaking, of prophecy, and and special dispensements of knowledge that were given before they had the written revelation. He says all that's going to come to an end. It's all going to cease. But he says there's going to be greater gifts that continue. And he said the three greatest gifts are what? Faith. Hope and love. Those are gifts that are going to continue on throughout the life of the church until Jesus returns. So we saw earlier in Ephesians that we are God's handiwork that we're given to be given to good works. You tie this in now with we have these gifts of faith, hope, and love. We're to exercise them in different ways. We're to exercise them in different ways, even if we don't feel gifted. Sometimes we don't feel like we have anything to give. Or there's people that are better than doing, at doing something that we're doing, and we think, well, I don't know what I can do. But Paul told the Corinthians, I've not left you behind in any area of spiritual gifts. There is something for everyone to do, even if you don't think there's something for you to do. Let's look at our last text and then make some specific applications and be finished. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, there are different places in the New Testament where churches are given specific things that need to be done. Some things in the assembly, some things outside of the assembly, but they all relate to faith, hope, and love. These ongoing gifts that get dispensed out in different ways. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. Verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
we have what? Verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Verse 7. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give what? Encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is show mercy, do it cheerfully. Here the Apostle Paul is talking to the Roman church about gifts beyond miraculous gifts. Now, miraculous gifts like prophesying, tongue-speaking, miracles, those were done at a certain period of time for a certain purpose. But based on what Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, those have ended as far as gifts that people have in the church to do things proving that God is speaking through them. Have God's will. But certain needs still exist. People needing help. People needing instruction. So he says here about these gifts that continue to go on. Gifts that continue to go on. The first one he says here is serving. He simply says, if it is serving, then serve. Well, if we have all been given gifts, we have to think, well, how can we exercise those? Gifts are simply a combination, I believe, of our natural strengths with God's blessing connected to them. Not everyone is a natural communicator or has received any formal instruction and teaching. But some that have and feel comfortable speaking in front of a group, he says, to those who can teach, he says, teach. <laughs> There's your gift. Combine natural strengths that you have or natural training you might have received in school or simply at home in some way. He says, use that. But now you're using it with God's blessing and God's purpose behind it. Let's look at some others. Uh, he says, uh, serving. If you're naturally good at giving yourself to other people, you might be good at baking things. Or you might be good at buying things for other people. Maybe you're not good at baking, but you're really good at buying. That's where I'm at. I'm, <laughs> I can go buy something. I, I love buying sandwiches, but I'm not too good at making them. Uh, but that's just simply a way that you can serve. And serving is a big word with a lot of different ways to live it out. We can serve with our words in helping people, uplifting them. We can serve with our listening. How many really good listeners do we know? Just listen to you and let you go on as long as you need to. That's, that's a gift. If you're a good listener, and you might be someone that just doesn't like talking a whole lot, and you rather listen, that's, that's a natural trait of yours that you can use to be a blessing to some people that just have to get it all out at times. That's the way you learn also. Yes, you learn by listening. Right. If you just listen to respond, you're not going to learn a lot. But if you listen, and people know when someone's really listening to them. People know. Uh, he says here the gift of encouraging. He says, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. Some people are really good about finding something good to say. Got a couple good compliments on my shirt that I drug out of the back of the closet. I forgot about it. Within a minute of being here, someone found... Something encouraging. This is saying, John, it looks a little big on you, or something like that, finding fault in it. They said, John, oh, I love that color. Jimenez said, that. I love that color. Austin always makes something up about what I'm wearing that's positive. 
And those things mean the world to us. Uh, a lot of us may go a whole week without hearing anything good from anyone. But when you come to this assembly, you have people saying good things, finding good things, happy to see you, happy to be around you. And when you're that way with other people, that means the world to them. Those are things that money cannot buy, being an encourager, being a giver. Some people are blessed with extra money and they, and they love being generous and are really good with generosity. Others are good with generosity and they, they seize the need. If there's a moment to be generous, they seize that moment. It doesn't take a whole lot of money to be generous. But having a generous spirit when, when you see the need, you recognize, hey, this is something good I can give to. He says, if you're a generous person, he says, if it is giving, then give generously. It doesn't mean give everything you have all the time to anyone that asks under any circumstance, but seize the moment. Recognize that, hey, okay, this is a good opportunity. And seize that. That's a gift to do that. He says here, leading. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. Leader doesn't mean always that you have a title or that you've been to leadership school. But leading sometimes can simply be, hey, I think I've got a good idea. Let's work on this. Or I recognize the need. Hey, let's get together and talk about it. That's, that's being a leader without being a leader. And most good leaders don't even have a title behind their name. People just kind of follow them because they... They want to do the right thing. They seize the moment, even if it's not sure what the right thing is. But stepping up and opportunities to lead. And then he says, even with mercy. He says, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And that most naturally means if someone has done something against you, uh, showing mercy to them. But mercy, again, could be just good listening to someone who feels really bad about something they've done. And they're trying to unburden their heart and they're talking to you because they trust you at work. They trust you not to go gossip to everybody about it. Or they trust you not to be judgmental and make them feel even worse than they already feel. A lot of times being a merciful person is simply being someone that can listen and say, yeah, I bet you feel real bad. I can tell you feel really bad about that. And thanks for trusting me to tell, tell me all that. That's being merciful because a lot of people would love to criticize. Well, here's what you should have done and here's what you better do. There's plenty of people that are really good at that. But being a merciful, compassionate person with someone who already knows what they did, that is a gift. And what Paul is saying here as a church is to use these gifts. Obviously in our assembly when we're here, this, should be, this is our huddle. This is our time where we, we're huddling like a team does to learn the play and what ought we to do and what do we need to do better. 49ers, they get in a huddle before they do any play. They get in a huddle. Time out. The Warriors have a timeout. Let's go to the side and see what Steve Kerr says we need to be doing or what Draymond says we need to be doing differently. And uh, this is our huddle, but yet we go out and we live out this mission as a church and find what you think you're pretty good at. Serving, listening, leading, giving generously. If you're not sure what you're good at, I bet someone else here knows what you're good at because they experience that goodness. And then live it out. This is what we're called to be. And this is, again, what Loretta noticed earlier in Ephesians 1. To the praise of His glory, God is glorified when we are being the church. Not only when we're assembled, but when we're at work on the 280, 
go ahead, come on in. <laughs> uh, that's being the church instead of <laughs> uh, at work. When other people want to gossip and talk bad about the boss, you do the opposite. As a neighbor on your street, instead of gossiping about what's going on and why the light is always on late at this house, you know, let's talk about the good things. I mean, look how nice they keep their yard. That's a blessing of encouragement. Pointing out good things about people that probably haven't heard a good thing about them in a long time. Do that. Find things that are good. You have a gift to give, even if you don't feel gifted. Start with your natural abilities and find a way to use those to God's glory. And as we do those, we are God's handiwork, prepared beforehand since the foundation of the world for good works. God's invested the life of His Son in us so that we might be this. And as we close this morning, may we be challenged to live out, whether we drive or walk the neighborhood or go to work, school, wherever we're at, to be the church. Just like, again, Steph Curry is a warrior everywhere he goes, always being looked. But he shines in that role. He shines in it. May we shine as God's children in this greatest role ever, being the church. Being the church so that we might draw people to God through what they see in our life. Not self-righteousness, not holier than thou, but simply a goodness that's attractive, that people want to be around. And that brings glory to God and brings people to His Son to be saved. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song to encourage us to Continue this walk that begins at the point we're baptized, where we put our faith in Jesus Christ, confessing Him as Lord and being washed of our sins, raised to walk in newness of life. And it's a newness that is being renewed every day. And we never stop growing until the day God calls us home to be with Him forever. That's our eternal destiny. May God bless us.